The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. So what did you think, Tony? It was a good interview. I think it was um, interesting. They're really great. I mean, obviously, I work with them, but I learned some things today. I know. What, what about you? I, I thought they made a great team together. Yeah, and I w- at the beginning of the interview, I was struggling because I really wanted to extrapolate, like, what are the main problems and how do we solve those problems? So I was really then glad when we got to the, the discussion on the vehicle miles travel issue. Yeah, <laughs> it just it, it shows you how much of an insidious web regulations can turn into, right? Right. Sometimes opposites make for, make for great balance. Olus Media presents Dear San Diego. To me, Dear San Diego is a look under the hood of San Diego's high performers in the platform for newsmakers to come in and talk about who they are away from space in the corporate space, the people that are making news. We get to look at their daily activities, into their personalities. Who are they? How do they make things work? What's the secret sauce? Dear San Diego. How you doing, Juan? Pretty good. How are you, Tony? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. What's happening with you? Good. Everything's good. Um, staying busy. We are, um, I wanted to share with you and with our listeners that, so I've said it before in the podcast, we have a creative agency. We have the marketing agency, the creative agency. And for the last seven, eight months, we've been trying to wrap our heads around AI, right? How much do you use it? What is it going to do? Is it going to replace people? Is it going to replace some of our designers? My message from the beginning was always, no, you're going to get replaced by a designer who Who's is better. using AI, <laughs> oh, right? That, 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 may be the, that, that may happen, but that's if you don't start using AI, Oh, right? really? It's like I have a designer in my team who started designing before computers. So I used him as an example. I said, what happened to people who didn't use computers? I fell off, right? They started doing something else. So we got to start experimenting with it. So we did a Halloween custom contest where people got a reward, a monetary uh, reward for whoever won. So this was among your 50 designers? Yes, 50 designers. So they each had to design a Halloween costume? Yes, and and wear it, obviously. Wear it and act it out. And they went. And how did they use AI with that, though? They haven't. I connected oh. it because I gave them a, we gave them a reward and they went insane. I mean, they're creatives. It is expected of them. But more than anything, I think it was the reward. When you put a reward and you make it fun, they go in and do it. So then I had the idea, that's how I do it. So oh, that's everyone, AI thing. yes, everyone's got to be like, if I was illustrating um, this design, right? How did I use AI this week? to make it faster, to make it easier, to make it more efficient. If I'm animating, how am I doing that? So I started it this week. I'm already seeing a lot of progress, cutting some What's things. the reward that you're giving these people? It's monetarily, but oh, also nice. we're sending them, they're all over Mexico, my creatives, right? So right. we're sending them some of the merch that they've designed a bundle of it. Well, very T-shirts, cool. posters, everything, right, so they right, can hang right. it over there. I, I, uh, AI scares me, but you know, I know it's coming or it's here. Um, yeah. Not surprised to hear that that you guys are leaning in there. What so what was the favorite what was the Halloween custom that won? It was the Invisible Man followed by El Chapo and then followed by 
the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> oh, so that's you great. can tell they got creative, right? Yeah, I want to see some photos. So um, Halloween was a little different for me. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we have uh, Alex and Nikki, the 10-year-old twin boys, and Natalie at college. Natalie did not partake, she told me, um, at Arizona State. Yeah. But the boys, so uh, blow-ups were, are the in thing. Uh, uh-huh. So the boys were each blow-up f- cowboys sitting on flamingos. Yeah, yeah, and so um, I'm gonna wrap my head around them. Yeah, so they came home and um, and they didn't have their costumes on, and um, one actually left it in the dri- on the driveway. And Elizabeth said, "Where where, where are the costumes?" Well, we couldn't really run in them, yeah, uh, right? Because you know when you're ten, the yeah. idea is to get the most candy, not exactly. look the best, right? Exactly. So they shedded the costumes pretty early on, and then my one son said, "I left my blow up on the driveway because when I took it off at my friend's house, his dog peed all over it." Oh. <laughs> And I think he and peed on my bag of candy too, Dad. And so, so I spent my Halloween evening sniffing candy to make sure it didn't smell like dog pee. So happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Tommy. Yeah, that sounds fun though. Yeah, it was good. Sounds like you guys had a good time too. So hey, um, today is November second, a few days after Halloween, and um, we have two guests with us today. One. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the leaders of the San Diego County Building Industry Association, the CEO and the government affairs, the vice president of government affairs. Um, they're eh, fairly new to the BIA because when you you and I worked on a, on a countywide campaign there a few mm-hmm. years ago, it was under different leadership. Yes. Um, Bora Winkle and Matt Adams have mm-hmm. since retired. Um we should say that yeah, the BIA has been been a longstanding client of mine. Just want to get that out there. Um, and you've worked with them, and mm-hmm. we're members of that organization. Exactly. It is a member organization. Um, Pay our dues. But our one guest, before she joined the BIA, she ran the um, San Diego County Farm Bureau. She also owned and operated a working farm for a time. Um, she is a qualified Riverside County environmental consultant and a County of San Diego Qualified Environmental Impact Report Preparer. That sounds pretty cool. I, I want to ask her about that. She um, she graduated from the University of Michigan, which is interesting to me. I grew up in Michigan. Um, she is a single mom. I believe she has three kids. We'll, we'll definitely ask her about that. Um, the CEO of the Building Industry Association. She's she's just as equally fantastic and impressive. She used to be the mayor of Escondido. And before that, she was a city council member. And prior to that, um, or before she joined the BIA, she ran the San Diego Office of Habitat for Humanity. Mm-hmm. So they both have a lot of land use and housing experience, yes. which we want to... Housing crisis, obviously... Um, a very big deal in San Diego. So we want to talk to them about that and obviously about their their personal lives away from the office. So without further ado, I want to welcome Hannah Bay, the Vice President of Government Affairs for the Building Industry Association of San Diego County and the CEO of the Building Industry Association, Lori Feiler. Welcome, Hannah. Welcome, Lori. Good afternoon. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us today. Yeah, thanks for being here. How's it going? Every day. (laughs) New day. Every day. Every day. day. Anna and I say every day. Everybody wants to see more housing. And then every day there's some kind of a challenge to get it done. Uh, Yeah, let's, I mean, let's just jump right into that. Like, we've been talking about the housing crisis in San Diego for years and years and years and years. What, what are the, what are the major impediments to housing and housing affordability? What's, what's, what's causing this housing crisis? It's really the regulatory environment. 
I mean, 40% of the cost of a home is due to the regulatory process. And I can say from working at Habitat for Humanity, it's not just the fees, it's the consulting. And so one experience, we had a civil engineer, and he gave us a bid of what it was going to cost to get the entitled you know, part of the process. Mm -hmm. And we got done, and we paid three times as much. I was like, hey, what happened? We're a nonprofit. We can't afford to pay you triple fees. It's like, well, the city asked for something different. And so we had to go back and redesign it. And then they asked for something different. And we had to go back and redesign it. And I said, well, what was the difference between the first design and the last design? It's like very minimal. <laughs> yeah. But yet we had to pay the consultant all those you know, again and again and again. That's where the real, I mean, that's, I think that's where a lot of the costs come from. 40%? Well, yeah, the, the housing crisis the is very complex, and when you look at what it costs to build in California compared to the rest of the nation, it is two times more expensive in our region. We actually have the distinction of being the most expensive place to live in the nation right now. Newly acquired, right? We beat all the... The ones we weren't supposed to be. It is. Yeah. And so it's a combination. It's been a recurring theme, though, too. We've been unaffordable for a long yes. time. We have. We, first, second, or third. But now we're in first place again. Yes. We are. We're yeah. at the top. And the more, regulatory More than San Francisco and New York? Mm -hmm. At least affordable because our, our our housing is not as expensive, but our wages are not as high. Mm -hmm. That's that's how they define that. Good yeah. times here in San Diego. Yeah. The regulatory environment is so complex in Southern California. One of the reasons is we have the highest biodiversity of any county in North America, and our regulatory environment really matches that. And so we're in this position where the fees are so high. Nearly half of the fees to build a house go to the government and to unwind this regulatory process. So a $500,000 home, a new home, which we don't build many of, we need to talk about why we don't build many new homes, but, but you're saying hypothetically, $250,000 of that would go to the government for fees? Yes, it is incredibly expensive. The cost of an affordable housing unit in San Diego County is 900000 That's what recent units have cost. That's clearly not affordable, and this is because of a variety of factors. The cost of land, you know, the inflation has certainly affected everybody, so the cost of materials, there's a labor shortage, and then we have complex regulatory environments, and a lot of times what happens is, you know, the finger gets pointed at the wrong direction, and so a lot of times there's this rhetoric that builders are causing the housing shortage because we're out for profit, when in reality the government is trying to solve the housing crisis by conditioning housing units to cost more. And that is something that gets passed on to the buyer or the renter because at the end of the day, builders, they have to employ their workers, they have to pay for their materials. And the profit margins, you know, you might make 1 million on this project, but you've lost 1 million on this other because community has come out and said, I don't want that in my backyard. I don't want this high density development. And so the land use framework is the number one challenge, and in San Diego County, we have 18 different jurisdictions. Each of them have their own, and we're in a lot of emotional-based policy making because people are struggling. You can't afford your mortgage or your rent plus groceries plus childcare plus enjoying going out to dinner. Yes. And people want a solution, but the solution is to deregulate, and that is the least popular political opinion probably in the nation and so what we end up doing is saying well let's charge more let's why don't we deregulate 
Well, yeah, you would think that they all talk. We all talk about well, you need more housing, and so then you say, okay, you need to forty. The forty percent is the only variable number right. that we have in that whole cost, and so let's start unwinding stuff. But then you have the state passing more legislation that comes down that has to be interpreted by a local government, and then it just adds more regulatory process. Even though it was trying to make things easier to build, it just piles on, and nobody really knows how to unwind anything, yeah. and that's why we. Every week, there's something that comes up from a city that is a new regulatory process that we have to Absolutely. explain. Yes. Explain this. Like we talk about inclusionary, and we all want more Ex- housing. Take a minute to yeah. explain what inclusion inclusionary is. Says that if you're going to build a project, you're going to build a certain percentage for low income, you know, affordable mm-hmm. for low-income families earning 80% of the area meeting income, which we were just talking, the average is $140,000. So somebody earning between 80 and 100,000 is somebody that you would be providing an inclusionary home. So, but if you if you have to add more housing to for affordable, we calculated if you have a $20 per square foot fee to provide that inclusionary home and you sell it, a family is paying an extra $300 a month to pay for that inclusionary home. Because you've got to subsidize it somehow, right? It has to be subsidized somehow. It's kind of a complex calculation, but the government is telling you to add more homes would just add more cost to the entire project, which somebody else is going to have to pay for. And they, they think that the builder will just eat it. Well, a builder's got financing that you have the right. return on mm-hmm. the capital dollars is not going to change. Yeah. The Inter- uh-huh. I was going to say the system is broken. And Clearly, it's depressing. Yes. Well, and, and one of the problems is when you look at, you know, our communities on a master scale at a 30,000 foot look, our infrastructure is crumbling. Our roads are degrading. Our water and our sewer and pipelines, they need to be replaced. And our capital improvement projects proposed by every jurisdiction are funded by developer impact fees. And the money does not exist. Jurisdictions are running out of money. The way that you make money is you either increase the development impact fees or you increase taxes to the public. Neither are a great option right now. And nobody wants to face the fact that our bureaucracy is out of control and our budgets are not being examined for where does this money go? And when you see it from the inside, you can really recognize how broken the system is, but the everyday citizen in San Diego County and all of California is busy trying to pay their bills. They don't have time to sit at city council for eight hours to have a public comment or to really dive deep into the code. To really understand it, right? What is very complex, right? People's Mm -hmm. times are constricted. But look, looking at it optimistically, when oh, was wait, the last... yeah, I want to hear about this optimistic view of the housing crisis. Please, not, the, not, not the housing <laughs> crisis, but when was the last time that people with your experience, a former mayor, and, and your environmental experience um, have been at the head of the BIA? Oh, yeah. Good point. Is that unprecedented, former mayor? It, it is unprecedented. And, and actually, when we talked to the, to the folks at the BIA, they said the reason why you got the job is you're the only one that had ever applied for a building permit yes. over at Habitat. So I understood the process. I understood what our builders are dealing with every single day to get, to mm-hmm. get that permit at the end of two to three or five or 10 or 15 years. I've had the pleasure of working with some developers, and sometimes it's hard <clears throat> for them to wrap their heads around bureaucracy government and policy and like why do they do it like that so nobody better i think than you to do it 
Yeah, well, I would say, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. I think that our leadership at the BIA has acknowledged that whatever was happening in the past is not working mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this is a very unique point in time because our political makeup is shifting. And so, you know, historically, you could say that, you know, Democrats were anti-housing, mm -hmm. Republicans were pro-housing, and this is really not the case right now. And you can look at the state government where the governor is carving out sequent exemptions for infill housing. Mm -hmm. These make huge differences. These are so important and impactful because they streamline the process, they reduce the costs. And so the housing crisis has really pushed all of our policymakers into a spot where they acknowledge it is to everybody's best you know, advantage to work with the builders mm -hmm. to understand what is yeah. the true yeah. problem and how can we get out of the way. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, a Republican or a Democratic issue. I think, I mean, if you look at NIMBYs, I mean, they wear all stripes over there, you know. Oh, yeah, it's right what's next door. Now yeah. I am a NIMBY. Exactly, <laughs> you know. Um, but speaking of leadership, um, you know, I mean, I'll be frank. The building industry—it's been my—I I spent a lot of time in the land use arena. It's at the top. It's generally populated by white men, successful white men. Um, oftentimes, I'm in the room with these guys, and they take up a lot of space. They've been very successful. At, at, you know, they've made a lot of money. Um, they're smart. Uh, they're well connected. Um, and so, what's it like to be um, women leaders in that arena? You have to be really careful about how you say things. Yeah. Because, I mean, still, quite frequently, you'll invite a, a male into the room and they'll listen to the male uh, instead of instead of what we might say. Sure, and sure. So, and if we don't say it three or four times, they ne they don't hear it all often. And so you, you just have to use different language. Um, I can say that my golf experience, if guys show up at the golf course at 10 a.m., they talk to one another for the tournament, and they take care of all of their business. Women show up at noon and don't talk to anybody. But even if the women showed up early, the way guys talk to each other is different than when they talk to the women. Women are not going to get the same conversation at that golf tournament that the guys do. They just kind of talk about it real quick and the next thing you know, you got a contract. I would say it is definitely not isolated to the building industry. Being a woman oh, absolutely. in the workplace absolutely. has been a challenge yeah. through my entire career in the volunteer, in the civic. It <laughs> yeah, is something. Yeah, for sure. We had Jessica Grounds on yeah. um, a month or so ago. She's a diversity and inclusion expert, and um, she, she, <laughs> she painted a picture that, yeah, it's tough. I mean, she's saying that boards and commissions predominantly are, are dominated by men. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to, or apply. even the public, right. Yeah. You know, in public comment, or I've been part of organizations where I vote on multi-million dollar contracts and mm -hmm. the men who want the contracts say incredibly inappropriate things that they would never say to a man. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time. It is. And unfortunately, you know, I feel like we've seen this elevate over the last number of years to not just women, to minorities, yeah. to, you know, the LGBTQT yeah. community. Yeah. And so that's why it's a beautiful thing to live in California. Yeah. I was raised in Georgia. And so in my opinion, if you want to see bigotry, you can go to the deep south. And here in California, as bad as it is, it is good. Yes. And sometimes when I look at my government and I say how broken it is, I, look, I think to myself, at least I can leave my house and drive my car. Because <laughs> yeah. some yeah. countries in this nation, yes. that's not afforded 100%. to women. And so it's perspective. And yes, it I is. think Lori and I are champions for change. Yeah, I and would say. 
you know and I there's, there's a yeah. there's a, a a fair amount of women leaders in san diego and other industries too that you know mm-hmm. i mean um I, I I don't want to. I, I feel like I bring her up on every podcast, but Elizabeth's the CEO of a big nonprofit, and she talks about some of the very things that that you just mentioned, Lori, and mm-hmm. you know the challenge is real. And and for uh, you know somebody like me, I don't. You don't even notice. A lot of times I don't. You don't even notice. You know, yeah. and I, I, when you share stories like you just did about the golf outing, those are interesting to me because yeah i'm like really mm-hmm. um because you don't notice that men talk to each other differently and when a woman shows up in the group is the, yes. the language changes yeah more. the dynamic gets the, broken right? yeah, yeah. It, there's a saying that i have that when you shatter that glass ceiling nobody mm-hmm. talks about all that glass you have to walk through uh, yeah the, yeah yeah the shards yeah it's yeah. interesting i mean it, we haven't, or even to get into the room yeah. with the glass ceiling is not an easy thing yeah you know for women to do no the well, interesting thing we don't have we still don't have a woman president yeah. in the united states and we're not going to get it next year no mexico's about to elect one because yeah. Both candidates are women, right? And it's Isn't like that cool? Mexico beat us to it. Like, how? Well, like in the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Yeah. What an inspiration, yes. right? And there is a real challenge, no matter what industry you are, as a woman, when you speak in a similar tone and say the same thing as a man, you're looked at as she's not nice. And yeah. that's the nice word that I'm using for the word that we all know that I'm, yeah. yep. you know, indicating. You know exactly and it's that fine balance. We're supposed to sit still, look pretty. And that is not the world that I'm going to live in. And I think that that's the reason, you know, it's it's nice to work for trade organizations because this is the second one of mine that's been, you know, generally historically conservative. But they realize this is a new day in time and we are shifting with the times because this is an important value to them. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Yeah. Refreshing. Get back to what we really do well, which is build houses, build, yeah. build homes for families, and everybody needs one. Yeah. And I mean, I don't see you all, uh, I know some people do, but I certainly don't see you as women leaders. I see you as leaders um, in a very tough industry. I mean, I want to get back to this point about, you know, government regulations and, um, you know, I mean, what can be done to solve this housing crisis? We, I mean, I want my kids just like Hannah, you want your children. Lori, I believe your children are grown. But I want my kids, and, and someday this young man's going to have kids. Probably. We want them to be able to live here if they want to live here. And I think we really have to deal with some of the decisions that we've made in the past. You t- we talk about deregulating. But when I was in office in the 90s, it was the term was quality of life. And so we increased the fees. We increased the standards. If you look at Scripps Ranch and you look at a, some developments, all, a lot of new developments have huge setbacks. If you look at the Claremont area, that was built for middle-income families. There's a little, there's a curb and gutter and sidewalk, but there's not these 20-foot setbacks. And that land is expensive, and it has to be maintained, which just increases the cost of the home, too. So some of that regulatory is quality of life kind of issues that maybe people don't really find so important. They'd really like to have a home with a small backyard if possible. Right. Yeah, I think we need to look at the economics. Economics are typically ignored in the government realm. And the reality is market economics are important. Otherwise, your market collapse and you're not allowed to build. Um, And then also, you know, in the United States, there's a really interesting, like, documented systemic racism in the land use planning system that I think we're all are, 
the government created this system. Just to be clear, it is the government. Yeah, no, we talked about that requirement last week to solve with, uh, the problem with, with Councilmember Monica Montgomery. We talked about yeah. this very thing. And so it's interesting when you really look at that and you say, "Oh, single-family homes are only allowed the zoning in certain mm -hmm. areas," and so mm -hmm. our low-income bears all the multifamily yeah. or other examples, community planning groups or design review boards where you're having individuals run a campaign to be able to say no, not in my community. All in the name this. of quality of life, but the end result is it makes the home more expensive, which just cuts out the, a whole range of people. Yeah, Juan and I work um, with a lot of um, housing developers who have to go to the ballot box to get a project passed. Or, um, uh, and a lot of times what we hear from the opposition, the homeowners, um, is this this project doesn't fit with the community character, yeah. Yeah. right? It's yeah. over and over again, yes. yeah. Or, or, but they know how to attack it now too, right? Because they've gotten smart and they know how to beat us in the, in, in the ballot, right? And it's, it's not really affordable, right? And they communicate that into people, to your point, Hannah. It's like, yeah, it isn't really affordable, right? But that's what we have because we keep denying them. It's just getting more expensive. Yeah, and I think on the baseline level, human nature makes everybody, you know, a little uncomfortable when somebody that is not looking like them or, you know, mm -hmm. from the same background. And what we need to do is acknowledge that that's a problem. Yeah. And we for, can yeah, for sure. move past it. And that's why the state has been so advantageous to do things like objective design standards mm -hmm. based on equity. And these are, if you do it this way, you don't have to go in front of the community to get it approved. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're never going to get everybody on board to like no. a project. And when you run politics and campaigns, we end up in a housing crisis. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times we hear from op opponents of um, housing, new housing communities that we're fighting to get built is um, traffic concerns. Yes. Uh, traffic generally is the number one issue uh, when we hear community character a lot too. But uh, people people are really fearful of more traffic. And, you know, I mean. Yeah, in San Diego, <laughs> I think especially being so close to LA, that's the one, right? It's like, oh, San Diego's gonna turn into LA. Yes, we hear that it's a lot such, too. It's so hard but to beat But we're pretty that, spoiled right? here. There's not I a know, lot of traffic in San Diego. You know what I mean? Like there's. It's not that bad. Well, and a, a lot of the traffic problem, people don't believe it, but if we built the housing that we needed, we the yes. traffic would be better. Yeah. You wouldn't have all the people coming down from Riverside County. From Riverside County. County. Yes, yes. yes. And they moved up to Riverside County to be able to afford, afford a home, home. and keep their job yeah. here in San Diego County. Uh, I mean, our, our environmental friends, God bless them, they, they, they you know, are always 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 insistent that we focus on infill focus on infill don't build on that green space up and down the i-15 corridor okay but infill costs a lot of money to build it's not getting built nearly at the rate we need it and so these these middle-income earners these teachers these firefighters these police officers these moving office right workers, up to 15 they're moving past, right yeah. past the way 15. north creating in, a lot in, of in riverside the county yeah. and they're driving generating all these emissions yeah. in and out of san diego county every single day i mean it's just it's maddening and you if know? you could just bring them back south on this side of the border along the I-15, that is a very environmentally friendly place to build. Yeah. Yeah, I live in Coronado right now, and the ability to walk from my house to the grocery store, mm -hmm. to my children's school, 
There are electric bikes. There are yeah, very walkable cars. Community. There's free buses. There's a, a ferry to downtown. This is yeah. a beautiful thing that all communities should be able to build out. And when we passed this VMT regulations and we interpreted them, because you can skew data in any sort of political yes. way that you would like to. But what we did is we refused to allow our village cores areas in the unincorporated county. So like Ramona, as an example, mm-hmm. Ramona, we cannot build there right now because of the regulation. There's well, a lot of land there. Well, and I was just in dusty. I was just in dusty Ramona. Yeah, a lot of opportunity. <laughs> for a baseball tournament over the weekend. You don't There's need to spread it out. You don't need to right. go out far. Just yeah. stay down in the urban area. So we can't build there because no. of the because San Diego of our County BMT regulations. BMT meaning the, vehicle miles traveled. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the mitigation requirements now are infeasible mm-hmm. to financially make it pencil. So these are the some of the government. That's an example of these government regulations that we talked about earlier. So San Diego County passes these vehicle mile traveled. Uh, impact yes and they passed the the proposal that they passed they passed because they were fearful of a lawsuit from the environmental groups and so who suffers every resident yes. in san diego county we have an, a large amount of so this... workers that cross the border and drive to ramona for work the same thing happens in valley center so san diego we... county leaders mm-hmm. fearful that they're going to get sued mm-hmm. pass vmt regulations that essentially do what hannah Prohibit any it, ability to build in the unincorporated area. It's a building moratorium. Where we actually have land and can build. And, and that, the county will say in their own documents that the average price of a home in the unincorporated area is $650,000. Region-wide, it's a million. And so you, the affordable right, single-family right, home it yes, exists yes. in the unincorporated the area. The system is incredibly broken. The unincorporated county of San Diego has identified four areas that you can build under these vmt just and you four know just where four they miss? areas they miss the entire i-15 yeah, corridor yeah. where everybody's commuting from riverside yeah. to the city because well, no people they have literally told me people don't commute have they been on <laughs> tell the freeway them to go, going yeah tell them go north at two o'clock in the afternoon yeah to see how fun that is or 8 a.m right yeah. yep oh and to your point like just north of escondido you're going to come to a halt every day we get more San Diegans moving to Tijuana, right? Yes, we because do. Because and it's it, becoming an unaffordable day. Yes, too. now we have a housing crisis over yes. there. People can't afford to live there, right? Because it's bumped the prices up of Tijuana real estate. So we're exporting a housing crisis we are. to our neighbors. Well, and I think, you know, this is the baseline problem because a lot of times we pass policies that feel good and we think yes. this is yeah. the solution. Policy is so complicated when you implement it if your regulatory framework has an and where it was supposed to be an or that sometimes makes a huge massive difference when you're going to pull a permit and we need to be more thoughtful Mm -hmm. and less catering to campaign can we can we um pass ballot measures that unwind some of these regulations can we do that (laughs) <laughs> would, would, would that be what, a, what, what, well, the problem it's, it's i mean i i know we're not going to solve this housing crisis so complex, on this podcast but it's so complex it's like what would we write Give right. well, every jurisdiction is in a housing crisis in san diego so we have 18 and each of the jurisdictions have 20 different regulations that are feeding into this excessive regulatory environment that makes yeah. it the joke in san diego is it takes 30 years to build a master plan community 
I mean, in Georgia, where I was raised, you want to build something, you just get your bulldozer. Yeah. I mean, we can find a happy medium. <laughs> it doesn't have to be it. one or the yes. other, but we, we can do better. Well, and again, yeah, I mean, the, exemptions. The economy in Detroit, at. where I'm, where I grew up, is not as strong as as San Diego. It's it never really the Detroit economy never really diversified outside of the auto industry. Um, there's a lot of poor people in Detroit. But they don't have that. They don't have the housing crisis or the homelessness problem that we have here in San Diego. There's there's just a lot. Of, there's a lot of units in in, in Michigan and suburban Detroit and in, in, in the city of Detroit. Anyway, um, uh, so I want to I want to. This is a crazy email I got last night from my mortgage um, broker, um, and it caught my attention because the the subject line was. Rates still quite high, but property values remain strong. Why? Now, this is a marketing email from from my mortgage guy, and he sends these out maybe every few months. I don't always read them, but I read this one. And um, he makes this point that I've never heard. So basically what he's trying to do, right, is get people to buy Mm -hmm. or to refinance. Um, And um, he's good. He's a good guy. But so he, he says this. Never forget what I've been telling you. Eventually, only the rich will own real estate. The middle class will be ushered out. Rich will own real estate, poor will rent. That is the future. I don't like it any more than you do, but this is Wall Street's goal, and they keep marching in that direction. Do not expect the market to do you any favors or for prices to come down just so you can afford a home. Won't happen. Have you heard that before? That that Well, that's the concept of generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, but ha- I have not heard that Wall Street. Have that, you heard this before? That, that Wall Street's driving toward this? Yeah. I haven't heard that. I have. I think it's through their investing, right? I mean, I have, it's like a conspiracy theory, I think you could call it. In like, what's it called? Black Rock? Something Black, like that. But- yeah. I don't know. I, I know they're how you're buying about. a lot of properties mm-hmm. and basically, yeah, they're concentrating them all and they can control them. I would rent. possibly say instead of Wall Street, it's your government. Yeah. It feels like sometimes the government does want to keep the community in poverty. So we're back to bad government. Well, we're just frustrated with government because we say that we need more housing and then they don't understand that you have an impact on it every single day. You could direct your staff to um, process this stuff faster. I just heard from somebody that they wanted to add an addition and they had the plans drawn up 10 years ago and they picking them up and revisiting and 10 years ago, you didn't have to have a structural engineer say that this would be fine, the addition. Today, it's $5,000 to get a structural engineer to review it. That fee did not, that cost did not exist 10 years ago. Well, yeah. the reason we don't have more for sale units is because there's a state law about construction defect litigation where if you don't litigate at year nine or something. Nine and a half then the HOA becomes responsible. So you see a lot of frivolous litigation that our builders can't afford yeah. this risk because it's been exploited by lawyers who Lawyer are making thieves. a lot of money off of this. 300, so, 500 the hour? Who maybe are investing in BlackRock, right? So who knows? It's a yeah, complicated I, web that we weave. I mean, I did hear Stephen Russell. Stephen Russell is the executive director of the San Diego Housing Federation. I heard him on a panel last week talk about BlackRock. And he said that he gave us an example where they recently have bought, I don't know what it was, like two or 4,000 units mm-hmm. in North Park. And uh, he said they know um, what units to buy and they buy them. Um, they're affordable units. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, rehab them just enough to get them to be market rate units. And then they put them back on the market and sell them or rent them. Yeah. And he's like, I'm telling you, no matter how many affordable housing units we put out, 
we build, we're losing affordable housing units that. that are never going to, he's like, those units that are bought and refurbished and made into market rate units, they're never going to be affordable again, mm-hmm. you know? So, well, affordable housing has a restriction that you're limited to have it as affordable for 55 years. But so I think this is naturally occurring affordable housing. I think yeah, that I think speaks so. to Correct. the concept of the free market. The yeah. free market and market economics is not something you can ignore. And that's what a lot of our policies are doing is we're just saying it, it's just too expensive yeah. to do new construction. Let's go and buy these existing ones, right? Right. Yeah. And so, again, it's just all back to... Why is it so expensive to build in yeah. California? And we can point fingers left and right, but when you get to the root cause, and it takes a decade to entitle. And 40% of the costs are regulatory costs. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just, I mean. Well, and then you have frivolous sequel litigation, yeah. which oftentimes is based on a community desire to maybe have access to the amenities and not actually, I'm literally concerned about this project and this environmental impact. So. Again, a complicated web that we weave. If there was an easy solution to the housing crisis, we would not be in the housing crisis, right? And other states are not in as severe of a housing crisis Mm -hmm. as we are. And a lot of of the effort is to build more affordable housing that's subsidized and has a 55-year restriction on it. But as you said earlier, it's a $900,000 bill. And our builders can build something for less than five hundred. It's in the four hundred thousand. They can they can build it for four hundred thousand, but the actual cost for an affordable one is nine hundred. So we're trying to get more and more money to support subsidized housing. Where if you just let the market build the housing at four hundred thousand, we'd have a lot more. Yeah. People, and there's no middle income housing. So there, there's no middle income. Right. People that are in a subsidized home. Right. There's no for them to move They can't up move into. up. They may make more money and they have to move out, but there's absolutely nowhere well, for is, them to move. And yeah. that's why these young families and a lot of these um, first-time home buyers are, are moving to Riverside or Tijuana because there's n- no middle income housing stock in exactly. San Diego. And, and to wrap up the the BlackRock conversation, I think. Federal. Why is it called BlackRock? It sounds like a. I know like it a, sounds like like, like a James Bond <laughs> right? like villain organization. Right. But people always pay attention to the federal stuff. They always want a national boogeyman or something. I think what we're saying is a lot of it we can fix locally, right? Which mm-hmm. you can influence local policy way easier than you can influence national policy. I see it because I'm used to running uh, land use campaigns in San Diego and the public come up against you right away. I'm used to it. We were doing a campaign in Kurupa Valley. Uh, Now we're 44 minutes away from here. It's sort of like northeast, close Mm -hmm. to San Bernardino. I was already expecting the comments, everything. They never came. People were supportive of building a mixed-use village, right? So I think a lot of it is education of San Diegans who've who've, they've absorbed a lot of the, the campaign messages that the other side has sort of moved, right? So I still think, and I always tell um, developers when we work, I think we need a campaign off of the ballot, off of election season, to where we're educating, right? We're educating San Diegans about the side effects of some of the policies that we're moving so that when it's campaign time, when it's when it's gonna be on the ballot, then you can come in and tell your story, right? And they're not gonna think that you're just doing it for straight up profit. Yeah, but... I, I, I think that's smart, a um, an awareness campaign. But I, I, I think probably something that we ought, to, we ought to consider is, can we run ballot campaigns that unwind some of these government regulations? You know? Uh, yeah, and I think you're gonna fall into the same thing, right? It's who wins the education campaign at the end of the day. 
That's my view, my All marketing right. view on it. Your AI designers do. Compared to, <laughs> compared to self-serving interest, though, that's the challenge. I hear it yes. takes a few million dollars to run a, cam, a ballot campaign these days. It's not cheap. Not no. cheap, but, not hmm. cheap. But, uh, so um, Juan is going to ask you some some questions. They're not too difficult. Um, so um, Was this where we were supposed to do homework? Yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely. A quiz. You'll see yeah. them, yeah. Rapid questions. Um, we can go. We can we can start with you, Lori, and move to Hannah. They're very important. <laughs> Red chilaquiles or green chilaquiles? Red. I honestly don't even know what those are. I love chilaquiles. I go to restaurants and I eat them all the time. They're amazing, and they sh they. It's weird. It's basically tortilla chips. You put some salsa on it. Everyone's got their different technique and recipe, and then they turn into this delicious sort of like crunchy but soft. Breakfast, Mexican and then they breakfast. put eggs on With top eggs, of it. Yes. Eggs, on top. eggs, sometimes chicken, sometimes cheese. Usually over easy egg cream. or something like over that. Over easy yeah. eggs, yes, yes. I love chili. Pass. Pass. We'll get, we'll get back to you. We'll get back <laughs> to you. It sounds delicious. It's We're your... taking you out for chili killers. Yes, and I yeah, will exactly. take you out for um, grits and fried okra. All right. Oh, All right. oh sounds I just like had a plan. Okra the other night. Sounds it was like really good. Yeah. What time do you wake up? Between six and six thirty. Four a.m. Well, you have three kids, right? You got to get a little bit of time by yourself with that coffee, <laughs> ideally that. while the sun rises. Yes. How old are your children? Six, seven, and nine. And you're a single mom? I am. Wow. Yes. Busy house in the mornings. Mornings are, are tough at our house, too, and there's two parents in our house. So. Yeah, I love being a mom. I just think it's so fulfilling and gratifying mm -hmm. to yeah. you know be able to see these children grow and, and develop, and it gives, you know, there's nothing more important on my resume than that, and Absolutely. You know, that's it enhances beautiful. my life. That's that's beautiful. 4 a.m. What time do you go to sleep? Between 10 and 10.30. About eight thirty at night. Okay, that's yeah. So that's we all. Oh, you're always like this sort of like yeah. We see the delta between the time you wake up and the time you go to sleep. I don't think we've had a four a.m. riser yet. We've had five, yeah. but I, don't, I think you you, or, you win the award. I'm a past farmer, so you go with the oh, cycle of the sun, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's another thing we didn't get to ask you about. You owned and operated a farm. How cool yes. is that? Yeah. I'm assuming it wasn't in Coronado. No, they were, I um, owned and operated three different farms in three different locations throughout San Diego County over about a decade. Mm -hmm. and when, also a challenging industry. What was the funnest thing you grew? I, I think the most question. lucrative was actually non-edibles. It was uh, silver dollar eucalyptus in wax flower that you sell for bouquets and weddings. Oh, wow. Cool. The most fulfilling farming that I ever did is I ran a nonprofit for a period of time. We had a greenhouse. We grew fresh fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. to give away for free to people in need. That was wow. great because there's always a shortage of fresh fruits and vegetables yeah, in food banks. Yes. So supplementing that was really mm -hmm. fulfilling. I'm interrupting his questions, but I do. I'm sorry, Juan. Um, one more question. Um, do you miss being mayor? Do you miss being an elected official, Lori? Sometimes I'll have actually have to admit, yeah, yeah, because especially when I think about policy and I could have voted on that and made a better decision than what we're dealing with today, I miss it. <laughs> That's when you miss it the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great, great answer. Coffee or tea? Tea. So much coffee all day long. <laughs> How many? How many cups? Uh, there's a lot of scientific research that like nine cups and above is good for you, and I rely on that. <laughs> you rely on that one. Mm -hmm. Whatever yeah. the research says, you got to pick the right yeah. research. You set the numbers, yeah. I'm a single mom of three. <laughs> Who wakes up at four? 
Yeah. And I survive off coffee. Yeah. But you can sleep at the night, like 8.30, you're yeah, out. Yeah. Interestingly know. enough, if I drink like a Diet Coke, oh, I cannot sleep at all. But huh. coffee all night long, no problem. And when's the when time you have your last cup? I mean, sometimes like five, six. In the yeah. evening. Yeah. Yeah. If I drink people who can do that. If I drink it that late in the day, I can't fall asleep. I can't sleep if I drink it after 10 a.m. Really? I am, yes, I am. And you, you finally call. figured that out. Yes. After exactly. Like why am I laying here? Why am I laying here with insomnia? I cut the coffee like I used to drink it 3, 4, 5 p.m. I cut the coffee to 10 a.m. That's like a soda out for like me. like a light. Yeah. yeah. It's probably because it's different type of caffeine that they're using. Maybe. I have no Something idea. like that. Breakfast or fasting? Anyone? Breakfast. I wake up hungry. Okay. In fact, my husband says, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> uh, I will admit I don't ever eat breakfast, but yeah. I definitely don't ever fast either. So, yeah. I mean, if it, I like to eat, but I just don't have time until like noon yeah. or dinner, yeah. right? Because that's the single working life of yeah. any mother. But it counts as fasting. I mean, if you're not eating anything, just yeah. drinking coffee, it's fasting. fasting. Yeah. yeah. Your kids, you have kids? Well, yes, we do have one daughter. She's grown? Yep. Yeah. And she still live here? No, she went to Boulder, Colorado. Is she to to afford a home? Um, no, they affordable. haven't they haven't found a home yet, but they're looking. Okay. She and her husband. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things. They about moved it. right in the right when the pandemic started. Remote or physical work? Physical. Yeah. No, no physical work. No remote. No, <laughs> like heavy lifting. No, no. <laughs> no. Even more like in an office. That's very difficult. Physically yes. in the office, yes. yes. Yeah. I think you make you have better conversations when you're with other people. Yeah. I would agree. In person is more beneficial, but yeah. physical yeah, yeah. work. Yeah, we have like a, manual labor. That yeah. sounds hard. We have a standing meeting. Um, Lori, Hannah, and their uh-huh. their leadership team, and I'm I'm in that meeting every Monday morning. And person in person or in person. Yeah. And and I'm usually sometimes because I sometimes have a meeting right before it. So sometimes I'm usually the only one who's zooming into that meeting. And then we talk about you after we, <laughs> yeah. we drop you. It's yeah. interesting. I That's think, the con of it. Yeah, yeah. in-person meetings, you have more in-depth, like, connections. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But virtual, you have way greater attendance. Yeah. I know. It's a challenge. Yes. yes. Yep. And time, right? I mean, if you've got to drive to a meeting and then drive back from it, then the meeting took an hour, but the driving took, the commuting took an hour. Right? Yeah, and so. So yeah. it's that uh, morning person or night owl? Neither. Neither. Middle of the day or yeah, just... Yeah, middle of the yeah, day. Interesting. Yep. Ooh, that is a good one. I'm a I already person, know. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about the circadian rhythm of it Pretty all. Pretty much. Right? Yes, yes, you have to be. Um, meditation or no meditation? Meditation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just traditional meditation, like to where you just, just try and... Just quiet thinking. Mm-hmm. That's good. I do a lot of yoga. I actually pulled my teacher credential when the pandemic hit. And so I'm also an introvert. So that's what I do every night alone is unwind. It's amazing. I use this app uh, called the Wake Up app. And I swear I feel it. I feel it in my conversations. I feel it in how effective I am when I'm doing at least 10 minutes every morning. It's so good for your mind. It really does. It really is. Oops. And that's it for my That's questions. it for you. Um, the um, Building Industry Association um, obviously does a lot of policy work um, and is an advocate for for good policy, <laughs> not bad policy. Of um, course. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's but, a given. Um, but you spend, I would say, just from my observation, 
um, observations. You spend a fair amount of time on politics. Um, there's a there's a very active PAC, the BAA PAC. Uh, you're part of a larger um, coalition of, of groups. Um, so what do you, just briefly, what, what do you enjoy more, the policy or the politics? And when we talk about politics with the BIA, it's, it's important for you all to, well, you tell me, why, why is the BIA involved in politics? Well, you really have to have some elected leaders that understand the housing crisis and what it means and how they impact it. And, and otherwise, we, we won't get it. I mean, we're always looking for three votes for, at every council. Yeah, the unfortunate truth is our policy is based on politics. It shouldn't be that way. That's not good public policy. Mm -hmm. Public policy that is good is based on the best interest of the community. However, most of it is based on how am I going to get reelected? And if you don't have somebody that really understands the housing industry and what it takes to get something built, they will be so swayed by the NIMBYs that show up at the council. And because it sounds like you care about the community, community character, all of that, but if you, you have to understand when I vote no, it means you're cutting a whole cadre of people from get, getting a home. That's a good way. Yeah. We had Chris Kate in here not too long ago, former council member Chris Kate, and he said, yeah, I mean, there'd be sometimes 30, 40 people yelling at me while I was on the dais. And it's like, I would have to just remind myself, you know, privately and quietly, like they don't represent, they're not representative. They are the not population, the population, yeah. right? but they, they're loud. I'm but, glad yeah. that they showed up. Great yeah. for you to show up, but you are not the city. Right. There's mm -hmm. 150,000 people out there counting on yeah. you making the right decision. Right. So politics and Art. policy. All right. Well, um, anything we didn't cover? Oh, there's a lot we could talk about housing, but your <laughs> podcast is not five hours long. <laughs> we'll have you both on again. Thank you both yeah. so much. Of course. Lori Filer and glad Hannah be, Bay. Glad to be here. Thank you for fighting the good fight. Talking about our favorite subject. Yeah. Appreciate you both. Build some houses for people to live in. Absolutely. It's all about at the BIA. So what did you think, Tony? It was a good interview. I think it was um, interesting for you and I. This was the first episode where we interviewed two guests mm -hmm. uh, at the same time. And um, so that, that was kind of neat. I, I was a little worried about it, but I think it came out well. Um, they're really great. I mean, uh, Hannah and Lori, obviously I work with them, have worked with them for a while. Um, and I I don't want to say I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in that arena, but I know... I've been mm -hmm. in the, I've been in the land use arena a while, but I learned some things today. I what, know. What about you? Same, same. I, I I thought they made a great team together. You could tell that they balance each other in a way, the way they talk, the way they got emotional about different issues. But even on the rapid questions, right? One was a morning, one was a morning person, the other one wasn't really. One was tea, the other one was coffee, and I was like thinking about it, like yeah, huh, one this. has some young kids, exactly. one has a grown dog. Yeah, yeah, just very. Sometimes opposites make make for great balance, right? Make yeah. for great teams. 
Yeah, and I w- at the beginning of the interview, I was struggling because I really wanted to extrapolate, like, what are the main problems and how do we solve those problems? And we talked a lot about regulations, government regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent a, a, a good amount of time on that. So I was really then glad when we got to the, the discussion on the vehicle miles travel issue and that county puts yeah. these regulations in place. Um, because they're worried about a lawsuit from environmentalists. And, and what do these regulations mean? Essentially that you can't build in places like yes. Ramona. <laughs> Which is where, yeah. yeah. It just it, it shows you how much of an insidious web regulations can turn into, right? Right. I mean, I was just in Ramona. Yeah. It's it's a quaint little place, but yeah. there's it's dusty. There's plenty of land, you know. I know. If we can't build there, where I the heck know. can we build? I know. Anyway, well... Um, you uh, you're gonna get back to the AI work with? Uh, yes, I will. With yes, your I team? Will. No, we are. We're building. Um, I thought that was really interesting too. So it is, right? It is. Um, I'll keep you posted on it. But we're building the RSOPs, and it's all about the combination of the human factor with the AI technology, right? I'm already thinking about how to market it out, and it's um, AI where you want it, humans where you need it. <laughs> Look at that, Mr. Brand. Very cool. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about AI and the housing crisis. Um, So thank you, dear San Diego listeners. This is Tony Manalatis. This is Juan Hernandez. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Dear San Diego. Be sure to follow and subscribe whenever you listen to your podcasts. To read the blog associated with this episode, visit olasmedia.com. This episode was produced in studios located in San Diego, California, and Tijuana, Baja, California. Creative director, Ulysses Breton. Sound engineer, Alan Glespar. Co-producer, Lena Alvarez. Executive producer and co-founder, J.C. Polk. Our president, Chad Peace. Olas Media is an IVC media company. Olas Media. Dear San Diego's media partner is timesofsandiego.com. Timesofsandiego.com, Juan, has 700,000 readers a month. 700,000 readers a month? Thousand. You got anything that you produce that gets 700,000 eyeballs? I have. Not at the <laughs> moment. Not at the moment. Um, and it's only, so it's only a digital news site, right? Correct. It's uh, online only. They've never mm-hmm. printed um, their product. And uh, that's really um, the editor and publisher there, Chris Genowine. Mm-hmm. That's what he'll tell you is one of their keys to success is uh, they're not wedded to the printed product like some of these legacy media organizations because print is 75% of your costs. You know, I respect local news sites like that a lot, right? They don't have the funds. They don't have the money that the bigger organizations, the bigger publications have. I think they do it out of vacation. They do it out of a feel of community. So I respect them a lot. I support them. I think our listeners should support them too. Absolutely. Times of San Diego is the only publication in Southern California that's featured on Google Showcase. Um, and because Chris, I, he's he's a smart guy. He understands that my publication provides the content, but we're not the digital advertising whizzes that Google and Facebook are. So he's, 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 he's leaned in to this digital universe where some of these legacy media organizations have not. Go to timesofsandiego.com, support local news, support timesofsandiego.com.